Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on December the 13th, 2022. I'm your host, Gaming Psychologist, and with me, as always, having all of his digits intact. Oh my, caffeine rage. On today's show, we will of course discuss the games that we have played. Twitch removes a hate group from approved charities following Backlash. Diablo 4's 90 pound Ultimate Edition includes early access and accelerated battle pass. Days Gone wasn't a hit because, quote, reviewers were too woke, as a director claims. After spending 20 years simulating reality, the Dwarf Fortress devs have to get used to a new one that is being millionaires. And in the community corner, uh, a an article, Dwarf Fortress Steam version, immediately punches me in the gut. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. How are you today? Uh, well... Better than your co-worker. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, Franken content, which will be released as one of our Christmas episodes for sure, unless we have to skip sooner for some reason. But um, well, one of the pre-recorded episodes. That has to be like the week of Christmas one. <laughs> well, but we'll be recording for the week of Christmas. Or, or I mean the week after Christmas. The Sure. The, Why the, not? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's a story about my co-worker that when I say you know, has all of your digits intact. <laughs> it might mean exactly what you think it means. Only time will tell. But, oh. yeah. Doing a show. Woo. Had to cancel last week. My kid had his Christmas, uh, like, play performance, whatever, at his school. And I forgot about it until the night before. We didn't get home until mm, 9.30. And then we had to, you know, get my kid ready for bed, get all this stuff done. Get a shot of, um, shot of vodka, so we'll settle down. Yep. I need a shot of vodka, too. It was especially like, having to deal with that uh, content, right? It was like 40 screaming children for two hours. Yeah. We didn't get dinner. They had like a nice like buffet-style dinner, which mm-hmm. was surprising, but it was good. Whoever catered it, they did, they did good. Yeah, my niece has a band thing this week for Christmas, so... Thankfully, it's Thursday, so it's not going to interfere with the show because I've been taking to posting stuff on Monday, on Friday morning. So, yeah, so but, that shouldn't interfere with things at least. Yeah, that was that was last week. This week is a new week, a new new set of things. Ooh. So, do you just want to dive in? Yeah, uh, uh, should I just go first? So to get this massive topic out of the way, if you want to, that's fine. Um, I will mostly sit quietly since I don't really have much to contribute. But most likely, yeah. So tell us about the game you played this past so, month. It's been a month. I, uh, something like that. I mean, uh, got it pretty much like two or three days after release, mostly because Amazon fucked up. Uh, well, I should say. I, I should preface this with uh, Adida got the Pokebands. So a lot of my judgment about the game is slightly biased on not actually paying for the game that I played, right? Because that's kind of the thing, right? I, I yeah. realized there's a perspective of playing somebody else's copy versus buying it yourself. 
And that does color things quite a bit. And I have some thoughts about this. I have actually quite a few thoughts about this. So uh, there will be spoilers, but I do want to kind of get a a general overview of things before really diving into the story. Because for once, the story is not just kind of tacked on and utterly bullshit. It actually is not just coherent, but makes sense. And is actually has a couple interesting twists in it. So let's address the elephant in the room first, the performance, what everybody's talked about. And I can't talk about it as much as some others because Skillop actually did a breakdown of the performance of the game after the 1.1 patch, I think it is. Uh, the big patch they released post-launch. That was mostly addressing uh, how they kind of screwed up on the online battles, how uh, the randomized seed was always the same for moves that has a percentage chance to hit. So people had figured out that you know certain like uh, one-hit KO moves would always hit if you used them in a particular timing, which was a big whoopsie-doodle. So, performance. And I think I'm a little bit more lenient on this game than others, partly because I did not buy it, but also because I was playing exclusively in handheld mode. And Skillup did a thing where they compared docked performance versus undocked performance. And while the same like graphical hiccups uh, do occur, the frame pacing, for whatever reason is far better in handheld mode. So, even though the frame rate is still low, you're not getting all the hitching and jerking that you are in docked mode, whatever the Switch is struggling to do a 1080p or whatever uh, uh, resolution output. And a lot of the kind of meme uh, graphical glitches that you're seeing, you know, where the people are deformed and stretched out, seem to be... Uh, a result of multiplayer, which while I did play some with Adida, there wasn't a lot that we did directly together. We went into each other's versions and caught some of the exclusive Pokemans. But we were separated from one another. So, yeah. My performance is bad, and there is some very noticeable animation issues, uh, particularly on large objects that are off in the distance. Like, um, they have, like, an array of uh, windmills on this one cliff, and if you're far away from them, they look like they're animated at, like, five frames a, se a second. Very jerky, very... Like, it's like it's looking at the keyframes and not any of the in-betweens to use kind of a one term for it where there's no smoothing of uh, particular uh, between uh, particular positions of the windmills so it's very noticeable and there's also a very prominent one in one of the towns where it's like right in the middle of town and if you're far away from it it's jerky and janky as hell but if you're up close to it it's very smooth right yeah i think i've seen that one actually on on the youtubes mhm mm and I'm not sure how I feel about that, because it's not a game-breaking issue for me, you know? And listening to some of the other graphical complaints, it feels very 
nitpicky at times, talking about how they only have so many like tree models. It's just really right. Yeah, uh, it it's not excuse, and I don't excuse them for having a low frame rate for having uh, all the pop in and some of the graphical oddness that pops up at times. But all mine has been purely just aesthetic. You know, like a texture has a very noticeable swap from a uh, low-level detail to a high-level detail version. The animations are uh, go from uh, a very rough, low-level detail to a uh, smooth, high-level detail at a very close range. And it feels like this game should have uh, been delayed because of those. But at the same time, the core gameplay is actually fun. So I'm torn, you know? Yeah. it's People have been comparing this to Cyberpunk. But Cyberpunk's gameplay was utterly broken on top of the graphical issues. On top of the gameplay... Or, or yeah, on top of the... The gameplay was broken on top of the graphical issues. In this case, it's graphical issues that don't really impede the gameplay. So I don't feel like it's as much of a deal breaker unless it annoys you. In that case, well, you're going to be very annoyed by this game. Especially whenever you go into some of these uh, towns and you'll see somebody like uh, almost, uh, you know, like two frames of animation walking past. But if you're in handheld where you're on a little tiny screen, you're it's not as noticeable, right? Yeah. So you get the benefit of it being... Yeah, a portable. And yeah. it really feels like that's what they were uh, expecting everybody to do for whatever reason. It almost feels like Game Freak forgot that this uh, console docks, right? Yeah. And there is things I do have issue with this game on the gameplay side of things. And remember, I am gameplay first. And probably my biggest one is the fact that they do send you all over the map. Uh, the a big marketing push for this game wa- uh, was go do what you want. Uh, you have three stories that uh, you can attack on any order. Do whatever you want. Uh, tackle the gems in any order. And that's not quite the t- uh, case. As a matter of fact, it's very not the case. Uh, I have a... Hang on, let me make sure... Uh, oh, I need to go grab it. Uh, I have a map of the order of things, okay? Uh, leveled by... Well, uh, ordered by level, alright? Okay. And... Oh, and it would help if I didn't actually accidentally close uh, uh, Chrome to grab that. So, uh, there's no level scaling in the game at all. All the gems, all the other challenges that are associated with the other two storylines are of a set level. And this is my absolute biggest gripe with the game, I believe. So that if you want to tackle things on a even level curve, you're sent all over the goddamn map. So you start essentially at, like in the six o'clock position of this map. And I'm dropping a link in Discord to you. Okay. This is the path that you have to take. You can see, like, the player character down there near the castle, just 
at the like the six o'clock position. Look at the absolute spaghetti factory you have to follow of a path. Yeah, that's pretty messy, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But if they're saying like, oh, it doesn't matter, go in whatever order you want, and then it, that's very clearly not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they do have it kind of situated where it, you, whenever you start your journey, uh, you have one or two paths to go, essentially either east or west, because you're coming up from the south. And the two things that you'll run into first are the lowest level, but then you have to go the other direction, otherwise you're going to start hitting very high-level stuff. I mean, you can't really see it very well on this map, but if you like go from that first gym, if you continue going clockwise, uh, you start hitting like level 20, level 40, right? Yeah. And never mind the fact that uh, this does have the gym match mechanic. It's a, a little bit modified than uh, previous games. Where uh, Pokemon of a certain level will only listen to you if you have so many gem badges. So, right? If you uh, level them, if you, if you captured them before that level and level them past it, they will listen to you, but it cuts you off from getting any new Pokemans. And, you know, you only have so many Pokemon in that opening area, right? Yeah. So it kind of forces you onto the gem path anyway. Never mind the fact that in order to do some of the later gems, you have to do the Titan path, which essentially is giving you your stuff with your ride Pokemon. Uh, Your different abilities like they did in the last game. They tied all the ride abilities to your motor transportation. So, yeah, it, it just, it's confusing and really it almost feels like a uh, little bit of a mismarketing thing of saying that you do what you want, go where you want, uh, explore the world. Because if you do that, you're either going to hit some massive difficulty spikes or you're going to be very over-leveled for some of the uh, stuff that you missed out on. Never mind the fact that you could go into an area and have things jump from level... 20 to over level 50 just by crossing a bridge, right? Yeah, that's a pretty big jump. Yeah, it really feels like uh, Game Freak never really played a game that, or, or I should say an RPG that has uh, their sort of co- uh, you know combat system, their level-based combat system uh, that's open world. It very much feels like they took some design cues from Breath of the Wild but Breath of the Wild really doesn't have a combat system like theirs where you know, it's based on levels, based on uh, you know, certain attacks and uh, moves and that sort of thing. Uh, I almost want to say uh, they should go and look at like the old design of uh, World of Warcraft. Uh, not uh, the combat, per se, but how they uh, guided players into different areas based on uh, questing and just how the map connects to one another. While it's not yeah. near, while the old World of Warcraft wasn't nearly as open as the Pokemon, especially once you get some of your uh, extra rod uh, Pokemon abilities, which I'll get there. Uh, it is a still a design cue of uh, get. Well, that's the other thing is that they don't really have 
much in the way of side quests outside of what's related directly to the school. And that's more side stories. So there's not really the kind of generic uh, base level uh, RPG mechanic of directing the player to the next thing. Instead, they have Nurse Joy at the Pokemon Center saying, oh yeah, I think you should go do this. And it's just essentially pointing the player to the dearest badge, quote-unquote. And all the different stories essentially uh, award badges on their major milestones. So, right? Yeah. The thing is, is that you can do good open-world game design that doesn't have level scaling or very much level scaling you know morrowind sort of like scale posting right or sound posting of what to do or you know some sort of general nudge yeah morrowind and fallout new vegas are probably the two games to go to for this the most like morrowind and new vegas both had some limited enemy level scaling but they used really well done uh combat encounters and world design and quest structure as well to point players in a direction where they weren't going to get immediately mauled to death by enemies that they couldn't deal with at the start of the game. So it can be done. It just sounds like they maybe missed the boat on that one a little bit. Yeah. it. There are some design decisions that are very baffling like that. Uh, let's see. Uh I'm kind of going through my decades before I uh, heap praise on this game because I do generally like it. Uh, well, well, I mentioned the class or the school, so let's uh, talk about that. Uh, so, outside of the main story, there's only really classes at the school. All right, and the classes are essentially uh, uh, lore dumps slash a little bit tutorial. So. Like, the math class teaches you how uh, different typings work and how uh, uh, same type at attack bonuses work, stab moves, and how to calculate, like, the bonus damage that a Pokemon that has, like, a four times weakness to uh, gets. And it is very interesting that they put some actually advanced mechanics into the game. Uh, explaining them, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's essentially just, you know, sitting there, you know, uh, watching the teacher go on and on about this one thing, right? That's pretty and, cute, though, that they're doing uh, it in uh, an actual school setting. Yeah, and this is kind of like the first time that they really went with a school setting. They've had Pokemon schools in the past in the previous games, but they've been kind of just, like, set dressing. This is like Pokemon Academy, right? So yeah. it's just... Uh, uh, they're a bit of a drag, but they are interesting if you're interested in that particular topic. Like, uh, the history class talks about the lore of the region and talks like the, you know, this massive war that happened, you know, uh, like a thousand years ago and some of the, uh, uh, lore behind the legendaries of the game and goes in depth about some of the like well like I said the lore the history of the academy uh how uh, people migrated there uh something that they really don't cover in the main games if anything it's like you know supplemental stuff in like the anime that sort of thing so it does feel like this game is 
more fleshed out as an RPG than the previous Pokemon games. They, but that doesn't mean that they aren't a drag at times if you're not interested in the story or interested in what's going on there. But the, they do give some decent rewards if you're good at the class or just cheat and look up the answers online. Right? So, well, I mean, uh, I'm a big fan of cheating, so... Yeah. So, I, I mentioned the story a few times, so... Uh, we'll just go ahead and dive into, like, story spoilers now. So, if you care anything about the story and the kind of the twist and turns that it takes, and that's actually shocking to say that about a Pokemon game, right? Yeah. So, a uh, little bit of fair warning. So, I gotta say this is the best story I've played in a Pokemon's game. And I admit that I haven't played a ton of them. I've played uh, Gens 1 and 2, and now uh, uh, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, seven through, uh, through Game Club, eight on my own with Sword, and now this one. And it feels like it's the most coherent story there is, which I feels like very faint praise, right? But yeah. considering the, that the last generation, they basically had the chairman of the Pokemon uh, League wanting to avert a energy crisis in a thousand years by... Uh, let's trigger Doomsday and, uh, you know, capture this uh, Pokemon, right? It, it feels very, it felt almost cartoonish, uh, villainish. But this one, it's, well, the, they bring up the term treasure a lot. You know, find what you treasure most. Uh, go out and search for uh, uh, your treasure. Uh, treasure your friends. And that's kind of the overarching theme of it, but then they break it down into the individual stories. So you have the uh, Victory Road, which is your gym challenge, with an actually supportive and, frankly, a little battle-crazy rival that's genuinely happy that you defeat her, because that means that she gets to push you harder, right? Yeah. Uh, you have uh, the a kind of anti-bullying group that got out of hand with another story uh, and trying to basically write what uh, this uh, character went, uh, you know, kind of went overzealous with the, their anti-bullying campaign and caused a lot of issues a year and a half before the main uh, before the game started up to the fact that. A bunch of bull, uh, a bunch of bullies actually had got kicked out of school, and uh, others resigned. And because of such a bad uh, bullying uh, issue, the entire faculty either were fired or stepped down. And now this group has gone, kind of gone and run amok, and kind of become bullies themselves because they've lost their way. But they are. Uh, Follow the strict code because, you know, right? Yeah. Uh, and the uh, former leader of the group, Penny, uh, uh, unknown to them, they never knew who it was. But come on, it's pretty obvious who it is. <laughs> like, you know, you have three characters and three uh, storylines, right? Hmm. Doesn't take a rocket scientist. So... 
you have her dismantling the group, trying to essentially atone for her misdeeds by getting this group of anti-bullying people that kind of are borderline bullies themselves now because they've gone unchecked to get back into classes before they get expelled themselves. And you actually have the director going undercover, or the director of the school going undercover. Hilariously bad costume, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you need to look up... Uh, I, I, well, I can actually... Uh, oh, come on. I did not want a. I just wanted a uh, picture of him. It, it, he doesn't cover up his beard, so the director has you know this giant pompadour, but uh, and then a little tiny uh, white beard, right? <laughs> okay. I, I mean, it's very, it's very anime, uh, uh, very anime-ish, uh, and it's Clavel, and he uh, shortens it to Clav for when he's undercover, because right. Right. Very cute, actually. Uh, actually, uh, if you go down two, three, four, five, uh, uh, screenshots, uh, you'll, uh, see a picture of Clive. <laughs> okay, let me open this up. <laughs> beautiful. Also hideous, but beautiful. Uh, and that's what he looks like without the uh, outfit. So, right? <laughs> that is still an interesting outfit. Well, uh, the different versions, they have different uh, outfits. So that's actually from Scarlet. Uh, and Violet, he actually has a purple jacket on. But uh, you have uh, Penny trying to essentially dismantle. Uh, I got off track, but that's going to happen quite a few times on this. Uh, to dismantle her anti-bullying group that's got, turned into bullies. And then you have Arvin, which has the most interesting of the three side stories. But, uh, he is the professor's son. And depending on which version you're in, you either have the uh, his uh, the mother or father is the professor of this game. Yeah. And he's basically spent his entire life very isolated. Uh, his uh, parent, uh, uh, canonically, they were married to one another, and depending on which version of the game you're in, uh, one of them is obsessed with either the future or the past, and the other one leaves. Alright? Uh, and walks out. Uh, because they just can't take uh, how obsessed they are with uh, uh, their, uh, well, their passion. So, right? Okay. Uh, and to the point that he hasn't actually talked to his parent, and I'm just going to use a gender-neutral term because, like I said, different versions are going to have a different uh, you know, mother or father. Uh, he hasn't talked to his one remaining parent in something like ten years. He's just had the uh, servants uh, that uh, or uh, his caretakers, I guess I should say, uh, uh, around, and he's lacked companionship, and the only companionship he's really had is his, uh, his essentially signature Pokemon, uh, his, um, um, Mask Boss, something like that. It's one of the new ones. Uh, and it got severely injured 
uh, past the point of uh, p- the Pokemane's uh, medicine able to save it. So he's off uh, ch- uh, chasing his own <laughs> legends to uh, and trying to uh, research a medicine to, uh, to heal it. And, it. and he goes from a very, you know, asshole's character when you first meet him. Yeah, very cocky and uh, self-assured. And just, you know, whenever you find out his motivation. And, you know, it, it very much humanizes him. And that's kind of the theme for most of the characters in this game, is that uh, they aren't as one-dimensional as they have been in the past. I mean, I just look at uh, Nimona and Hop, all right? Nimona is the uh, rival from the, the gym challenges versus Hop, who is the kind of rival in Pokemon Sword and Shield. And... Nimona has a more of a drive to her. She's m- more well-rounded. She has a character flaw in that, you know, she is a little battle crazy, but she actually has skills to back it up versus Hop that talks a big, uh, uh, you know, talks himself up, makes it sound like he's, uh, yeah, the best, and then absolutely gets fucking destroyed, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have a character that has some sort of uh, you know over uh, amount of pride you need to have them to be competent and also just the way that uh, the, just the tone of the two characters where Hob uh, acts like it's some sort of mystery that I was able to figure out to use a strong attack versus whatever Pokemon he has out the bon- Nimona's uh, cheering me on for getting a strong hit on her Pokemon, but saying that she's not out yet. It's just a completely different tone. And because you also interact with her more, uh, it makes it feel like she's a more well-rounded character, and that kind of goes across the spectrum as well. Even the ones that you don't really interact with that much. Uh, Penny's a good example of this. Uh, whenever you're at interacting with her alter ego, Cassiopeia, <laughs> uh, because, you know, Team Star and uh, all the major bosses are like, uh, took names from that uh, star uh, constellation. So, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, 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 Good theming. Uh, yeah, uh, the evil teams are, an evil team is probably a little bit over ambitious for this one. Usually have some sort of uh, interesting theming like that. So, for this one, uh, while you t- don't interact with her much directly, you know, uh, once you find out what's going on, you could go back and look at some of the interactions with her uh, alter ego and her, and also the limited interactions you had with her, and kind of fill in the blanks of, oh, this is what was going on. Right? Yeah. You know, finding out about how uh, she knew about their code before, uh, you know, you did. Well, that's kind of a hint right there, huh? And having uh, uh, Director Clavel also getting so hands-on to try to figure out, you know, why is there such a bullying epidemic in his school and what is Team Star's actual motivations. And finding out that uh, not only were they the victims to begin with, 
but uh, he may have been overly harsh on them uh, and painting them in a bad picture or, or bad like to yeah, it made things even worse. Uh, also humanizes Clavel in that he's you know not this all knowing uh, uh, director figure, right? Yeah, uh, and I think that's kind of the uh, the main thing here is that no character feels like a Mary Sue or a Marty Sue. They're they're all flawed in one way or another. You know, Arvin uh, is single minded focus on uh, healing his uh, pet, and he lets it make him a bit of an ass and off putting up first. But once you spend time with them, he realizes that uh, you also uh, need his help as much as uh, he needs yours. And you become friends with them to the point that he uh, starts calling you buddy. <laughs> oh, how how old are all of these kids? OK, so the player character is the youngest one. They don't give an actual age this time around. Um, wanted to put Nimona at like 15 or so. Uh, Arwen uh, said that he hasn't seen his parents in uh, 10 years. Uh, or directly. So, you know, that obviously puts him at 10. Uh, uh, at least, you know, 12 or so, right? For him to at least remember that much. But I would say he's mid-teens as well. Uh, Penny is probably the youngest of the other three. She's probably a year older than the player character, which I'd put at like 12, maybe 13. So I'd put her in like the uh, 13, 14 range. I mean, still okay. pretty young for an RPG, but right. But older. Well, that's that's what I'm money for Pokemon. Yeah. Well, actually, a little bit older on the Pokemon range. Uh, but then, okay, so once you complete the three main stories, which uh, the. Uh, gym challenges, uh, basically, uh, all the three uh, main stories tie into things that happen, which, or, or I shouldn't say things that happen, of course, but it uh, has their own, like, dedicated reward system. All right, so uh, the uh, gym challenges allows you to get uh, higher level Pokemon, capture them, and uh, have them behave you. Or have them behave, I should say. You know, uh, listen to you. Uh, the Team Star more is uh, a a direct uh, monetary benefit. It uh, gives you league points, which is like a secondary currency that you could use in stores in lieu of cash. And uh, uh, gives you the recipes for TMs, which uh, TMs are essentially craftable now in... Whenever you defeat a Pokemon, either in battle or using the Let's Go feature, which is tied into the Team Star mechanic or story as well, which the Let's Go feature is basically saying, okay, buddy, go, uh, you know, have fun and let your Pokemon off on its own adventure and uh, uh, near you and battle wild Pokemon. Uh, that gives you uh, uh, materials that allows you to build TMs to be able to uh, teach the Pokemans. Uh, but it's a lot easier to find uh, TMs this time around rather than, you know, in the past, even though this is kind of a step backwards because in Sword they were a permanent item. You could use them as many times as you want. But it's not that much of, a, uh, of an issue. Plus, you could also find them on the ground as well, just littered across the world. 
So I don't have that big a, a gripe with it, but boy, have I heard some people gripe about it. So, uh, and the big one is uh, Arwen's path, which ties into the ride Pokemon, which I haven't really mentioned yet. So in this game, you get your box art legendary, Coradon or Maradon, uh, depending on the version, uh, pretty much at the very beginning of the game. It's like 20 minutes in, and you get this legendary, uh, essentially uh, either a motorcycle or two brain cell dirt sickle, depending on which version you have. And the uh, storyline with Arwen ties into rekindling that Pokemon's lost powers because it has like this mental block and it refuses to fight. So it's just, you know, kind of like a very, very, very fancy bicycle for most of the game. However, there's some very cute cutscenes in the, uh, path of legends one where uh, have you've seen how to train your dragon. Yes, I have. Okay. Several think times. A, think, at, movie. think as... Think Toothless as a Pokemon. That is the ride Pokemon in this. It, in those cutscenes where it has like this almost semi-cat slash dog-like personality. And it's very playful, but also demanding. Yeah. yeah sort of so like Toothless. And it really endears you to, uh, you know, its story as well, which we're getting there. The the story in this game is actually pretty large, like I say. So, and as you uh, get these Herba Mythica, or HMs, eh? See what they did there? Wink. Uh, you regain the powers that the Rod Pokemon has. So, yeah, the if you follow the map that I linked you, you know, you like the uh, get some very boring ones at the start, like uh, you know, be able to high jump or uh, swim. But then you get you know, like uh, gliding, uh, climbing up walls, that sort of thing, uh, and boosting. That's the uh, that's the fifth one, which just speeds up. Uh, you know, your riding. Uh, it allows you to access new areas and new Pokemon, but it also, of course, over the course of the story. Arwen's uh, beloved pet as it eats more of the sandwiches. And yes, a lot of this game is sandwich and food-based. It's weird. I swear, all the devs, they need to go like to Subway or something. <laughs> uh, there, there's this weird fixation on sandwiches for a lot of things. But yeah, Arwen's like, yeah, making sandwiches out of these herbs to feed his dog. And yeah, uh, and... On each of the five titans, as you get the different herbs to uh, heal the dog, you know, it slowly, it, you know, it opens up its eyes in one cut scene, or, you know, it, it, it actually barks at him. <laughs> it's, it makes me really wish this game had voice acting of some sort. Or even, you know, just more sound effects than what the cutscenes actually have, because while the music of this game is very good... It feels like it's missing out on a little bit of an emotional punch because, yeah, it's all pretty much silent. You know what yeah. I mean? But I also understand that it does make it a lot easier to you know, get it over here. 
uh, in a you know fairly uh, pretty much a worldwide release instead of you know the old days where you know it took ages for a game to get translated, right? Yeah, well, you're not having to localize voice recordings; yeah. you just text, which can be a problem in and of itself, but easier than than doing mm-hmm. vocal recordings. So after getting all three of these stories complete, you unlock the fourth one, which is going into the crater. So you may have noticed when I sent you that map, there's a giant crater in the middle of the map, right? Yep, saw that. So that's Area Zero, where the professor has been researching. And you get a call uh, saying that the professor has been locked into a facility. It needs somebody to go in and essentially release the locks on the facility and go down into the very depths of Area Zero and release them. You know? Totally not ominous at all, right? Nope. So, you gather your team, which uh, you go with all your uh, companions. You, know, you go with Arwen, Penny, and uh, Nimona. And you have to complete all their storylines before you can do this. Which also means that you're a champion. It's the, which is kind of nice because okay, so champion in this game, it's more of a like a general rank, you know, like a uh, recognized being a singular person. Uh, but it makes more sense that you know they would send well, two champions because the Nomona is also champion rank, and the uh, professor's child and you know uh, a. Uh, a hardened criminal uh, doing community service. And no, no, I'm actually not joking on that one with Penny. That is actually uh, part of it is that she's like on kind of community service because of all the shit that went down with uh, team star. And uh, she may have slightly hacked the Pokemon league to pay you. (laughs) Right. Girl sounds badass. No, she actually is. I think you'd like Penny. Uh, you, you need to see a picture of Penny. Uh, there you go. So, uh, so Penny is the same grade as you, so she's about your age-ish. Oh, she's so nerdy! <laughs> I love her! I want to, yeah. like, squinch her face and be like, oh, sweetie. Yeah, but you could also go to the main page and, like, see Ar- Arwen and uh, Nimona. Uh, maybe you could get a better idea of their ages than I can. Uh, but... Uh, you're sent uh, into Area Zero, and your rad Pokemon freaks the fuck out. It doesn't want to go there. That's where it came from. Or it came from originally. And it's basically uh, refusing to even come out of its Pokeball. Well, uh, that uh, Arwen gave you in the very beginning of the game. Uh, technically, you're carrying seven Pokemon this entire time. Which is a little odd, but right? Yeah. Well, you're going down to this crater, and it's... It feels like the developers spent so much more time on this area than they did anywhere else. It's absolutely beautiful. It still has some of the texture issues. It still has some of the uh, tiling textures that people bitched about. It still has some of the pop-in that people uh, bitched about, which I'll uh, admit that uh, the draw distance for the Pokemon could be a, a hell of a lot better. But, you know, it's it has this otherworldly feel, like the Lost World, you know, even more so than a uh, than regular Pokemon, right? Yeah, and probably reinforced. By this point, you've gone pretty much all over the map. You've seen most of it, and now this place just feels alien. You know, all these weird ass crystals growing out. 
pretty much every uh, moth Pokemon you could think of is down here for whatever reason. And you have the Paradox Pokemon, which are, uh, depending on the version you're playing, either past forms or, like, android uh, robotic versions of different Pokemon. Which kind of is a little scary about the future ones, right? (laughs) Like, they all died off or something. So, uh, you're going down, down, down uh, into this crater, into weirder and weirder shit, right? Yo, okay. caves uh, full of crystals, uh, dealing with uh, these paradox Pokemon. Uh, some of them passive, some of them are aggressive. And you have to hit these four research stations to essentially uh, enter a, a lockout code that the professor provided you uh, to unlock the main lab in the very bottom of the, la- of the crater. Which Penny does mention, wow, this is, is very video gaming, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> And she actually, at one point, uh, complains about having to go because she wanted to binge watch some anime <laughs> that she'd been saving. <laughs> uh, so you get down to the bottom of the uh, crater and you start finding uh, notes about how uh, the professor is so close uh, to a breakthrough on this machine that he's working on. I'm using he because that's the version I played. Uh, and he's also... Uh, it, uh, uh, develop something that will uh, double his work uh, load or his work output, and it'll be like having a second one of himself around. Ominous, right? Well, yep. You get to the fourth lab, it it is destroyed. It 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 looks like there was a battle in there. Just machines tore up. Uh, the other ones were looked like they were in disuse, but they were. You know, not you know destroyed. They were it, there was some sort of order. It just looks like they were you know left and nobody ever came back. This one just trashed and, to release the fourth lock, and then the professor starts acting weird and very like uh, repeating themselves and uh, having like a vocal tick. Oh, I should say you know text tick or whatever, right? Yeah. Well, you get to the final lab and you finally meet the professor in the flesh after, yeah, probably like 50 some hours, right? (laughs) Only to find out it's not the professor. It's an android that the professor had built. Oh, no. And the professor got fucking killed before the. Oh, (laughs) shit. Well, I already told you that one, but right. Yeah, I know, but I mean, for a Pokemon game, that's dark. Yeah, the 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 professor got killed, and uh, uh, the only thing that really remains that's in the crater running everything is this machine that they built uh, that they built uh, uh, that can only really function based off the power of the crystals, which. I never really mentioned that the whole thing, the whole gimmick of this game is terrestrialization, which is uh, basically using the crystals that come from this uh, crater to change the typing of a Pokemon. So, which adds to some interesting strategies, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's more of a big thing for uh, like online battles or doing raid dens, which. I'll briefly touch on after I talk about the story. Uh, but uh, 
the Android professor, or they call him AI professor, because, right? Uh, wants to actually uh, stop uh, the project that the real professor had, uh, started because they see now the havoc that they've caused. Basically, they built a time machine and have been either, depending on the version of the game, bringing forward uh, uh, Pokemon that were in the distant past that uh, never really left fossils and were just kind of like thought of as myths and legends uh, forward uh, to present day or uh, futuristic sci-fi-esque uh, Pokemon that this professor had read about uh, as a child from the future into the into their past to our present. And it's uh, wreaking havoc on the creator's ecology and the containment systems in the creator are are having issues keeping all of them inside now because this machine has been running for uh, uh, for a couple years now. The professor supposedly uh, was killed uh, uh, six months ago when they brought a second copy of the Rod Pokemon that you've been uh, riding on all this time uh, to the creator and it asserted dominance by fighting with the one that you've been riding on and inadvertently killing the professor in the process. I mean, fucking dark for Pokemon, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. So, uh, they uh, enlist your help, but warn you that um, uh, I'm tied directly to the computer systems of this lab, and this lab is built off the will of the professor, and it's going to try to stop you. So he, against his will, fights you. And, and it's a change of pace to actually have to fight the professor to begin with. And I know, not really the Pokemon professor, but right. Well, but, to the player, it would be. Any yeah. interaction you would have had, you would, wouldn't know until you got to this point in the game. Yeah, right. So, have to uh, fight... Uh, essentially the avatar of the professor and having to try to uh, stop this machine and it, I will say that the story for Scarlet makes a little bit more sense in that bringing Pokemon from the past that they've read about as a child makes more sense to me than bringing Pokemon from the future because the Scarlet one has a neat little Tom loop while the Violet one gets a little bit more convoluted. So the idea of this is that you beat the professor once and it starts this protocol where the lab detects that the machine is in danger and forces the professor to lock out all Pokeballs that is not tied directly to the professor's uh, trainer ID. Well, at the very beginning of the game... Arwen gave you the Pokeball for your ride Pokemon. So you finally get to fight with this Pokemon that you've been building up for, you know, who knows how long, right? Yeah. And utterly destroyed the Pokemon that killed the professor in the process, right? You know, just beat its ass. A very yep. satisfying, like, final battle. And the AI professor realizes that the lab is going to constantly trying to try to force him or her to reactivate this time machine and the only way to stop it is to 
use the time machine on themselves and send them to you know, wherever the time machine is pulling stuff from. Which, uh, like I said, it makes Scarlet feel like it's a little bit more coherent. Unless there's some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff going on with the Violet one to also tie in. Because Scarlet's could technically be a time loop where the AI professor is sent back in time and realizes that they need to write the book that the professor, or the real one, saw as a child. Although you start to get into a bootstrap paradox of where did the original book come from, right? Yeah. That's uh, classic then, time travel, you yeah. know, media stuff. Uh, while Violet's, uh, the AI professor is sent into the far future, but it leaves the question of where did the book come from? Although that could just be tied up with, you know, uh, yeah, it came from somewhere else and the sending of the AI professor is not tied into it. But right. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's the overarching story. And then you have, uh, you know, the end credits and, uh, Ed Sherwin, uh, uh, singing a song about it because, right. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's a lot more coherent than Swords. <laughs> That's to say the least, right? Well, I mean, I don't really know what Swords was, and I'm sure you explained it at one point, but the the yeah. Pokemans, for me, I kind of lots of times will zone out on. Like today. I am painting, while you talk, a minifig. <laughs> oh, my. Yep. So, like I said, the story and overall gameplay actually does feel really good. If the performance was better, or I should say, decent, I think uh, it would be a lot easier to overlook. I did have fun with the game. And, like I said, the the gimmick for this particular generation, it it feels less of an I-win button uh, than previous generations, but it has, like, this wild card of... uh, You could uh, have a Pokemon chained to whatever type... It is set to a particular Pokemon, but it's possible to change it. So ones that are a car in the wild are generally whatever type that is. So uh, let's take Pikachu, for example. Pikachu is an electric type, so if you catch one in the wild, it's going to be electric type. However, you could uh, build up uh, a stockpile of Terra Shards and change that type to uh, a more... Defensive type, a more offensive type for coverage. Like, a big danger of an electric Pokemon is a ground-type Pokemon. Well, you can build up a Terra-type of, like, water to not only negate the ground damage, but also possibly get an advantage because you can uh, learn a water move and you'll get the same type attack bonus from it. So, it's an interesting thing, but it's not something I really don't, I have dove into uh, that much. I'm um, just looking at my notes to see if there's anything else I really need to cover. Uh, oh, uh, uh, that's one. Is that uh, I did mention how they uh, made it where teams are craftable now. Well, they've also took one other thing from Legends Arceus, where uh, instead of a Pokemon completing for completely forgetting a move. Uh, it's like put into a library that they have. And you can only have four active moves. So... Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Sarcasm? No, genuine. Okay. I always hated that about Pokemon. 
Yeah, so, so why can this Pokemon only know four things? Well, you could only have four moves active at a time. However, at any point outside of battle, you could go in and have them relearn or reactivate moves, which allows you to go in and uh, customize a Pokemon for a particular uh, uh, role, or if you need them for a particular gym battle, like let's say you know, you're coming up against an electric type, you could teach a Pokemon that you don't really want to always have a, a, a ground type move, ground moves. That sort of thing. Or try something not like it and swap out without too much issue. Then you have uh, TMs that you know, are pretty easy to get once you get the recipes, which are pretty much all handed out during the main story, with the exception of a handful, which are uh, on some of the few uh, like side missions, or if you find them on the ground, you get the uh, recipe for. And uh, to craft them is generally just you know, a few random bits of uh, Pokemon that you've destroyed. Yeah. And if you're uh, using the Let's Go feature really at all, it's not that much of an issue to have just a pile of, like, you know, uh, uh, Sadak Dawn, or uh, Down, you know, or, like, uh, Grammar Goo, or whatever, you know, parts it is. And, no, I'm not joking, those are two actual parts. Makes sense, though. Kind of gross, but makes sense. Uh, and also, they made it so that breeding is a lot easier. Uh, so, uh, I think this is the... Uh, okay, well, I do have one other like good thing, then I'll uh, see if there's any more bad I need to talk about. So breeding, they've uh, kind of completely revamped. Uh, they've made it so a lot easier to uh, transfer egg moves. Uh, so egg moves were moves that could only be learned by breeding. Uh, now, uh, if a Pokemon has an empty slot, which you could just forget a move and have it, you know, like in your library and it's holding a mirror herb, and another Pokemon in your party has a move that's an egg move, it automatically gets transferred over. So if you have a Pokemon that you built up but realize you need a particular move on, and it's an egg move, it's very simple to transfer, which is nice. And they've also made it so that it's a lot easier to generate a bunch of eggs. So... Uh, the daycare has been removed. Instead, it's all picnics and sandwiches. <laughs> so that's, that's also cute. I like that. So uh, basically, you could have a, like a picnic orgy, uh, and you could also be running multiple sets of breeding pairs. So you could have three dedos, and if you're uh, doing shiny hunting, uh, you could have uh, three foreign language dedos. Uh, being uh, gang-banged by three of your Pokemon that you caught and generate a bunch of eggs, especially if you had a sandwich that gives egg power. So the sandwiches, uh, depending on the recipe that you use or if you're custom-making them, uh, the ingredients that you use, which is this weird thing between their flavor and how they interact with one another. I, I honestly don't understand a lot of it just yet. It gives different powers, and it can be mundane things like making smaller or bigger Pokemon show up, uh, making it so that certain types show up more readily, making shiny show up more often, or for egg, uh, for breeding purposes, uh, making it 
more often an egg appears in the uh, picnic basket at the picnic. And all those sandwiches last for half an hour. And the stronger the uh, power, the more intense it is, obviously. So I ended up just making like a, a really nice peanut butter sandwich. And it, it got all, all the Pokemon horny, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it did. And in half an hour, just you know, sitting there and checking the basket like every two or three minutes, I got just under 60 eggs to hatch, which uh, using the, uh, uh, the Medusa method, which is the foreign dittos, it's that's right under a ten percent chance of finding a shiny of uh, in one of those eggs. Uh, uh, for even odds, I should say. I didn't get one, but yeah, right. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it sounds crazy. Like one, in, uh, I think it's six hundred fifty-three or something like that. But whatever you're generating that many Pokemon at a time, go. It suddenly doesn't seem like that bad at odds, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, it doesn't. Especially compared to the uh, four thousand some chance in the open in the open world, not counting egg power, which is one of the big things or big issues uh, that's kind of surrounding the game outside of the graphical performance issues is the shinies in the overworld. So shinies can appear in the overworld, okay, and they will appear as their shiny form. And for some Pokemon, it's very obvious. For some, it's not so. So, uh, a good example of this is, like, one of the new Pokemon that's ex- exceptionally rare is called Chark uh, Adept. And its shiny form, it changes the color of its eyes. And it's already a little tiny thing, so, right? And there's no, like, charm or, sp- or special effect until you go into battle with it, if it's shiny or not. And it's turned into a big accessibility issue because there's no... Indication that something's shiny or not. And there's some Pokemon that, at least they're like base forms, it's very hard to tell the difference until later evolutions. Uh, actually, a good example of that would be Magikarp. Regular Magikarp is kind of an orgish, while a shiny Magikarp is gold and not that far off the orange, unless you're looking, you know, like side by side. However, the fully evolved version is red versus blue, right? So it becomes far more obvious. And they had a shiny sound effect and like sparkle animation in Legends Arceus, but they didn't carry it over into this one. That's possibly because the game is constantly generating and uh, regenerating Pokemon. So if you're in a cer- if you're a certain distance away. You could actually have it spawn and then despawn in just like a split second. Which some people are using their their advantage, but eh, right? Yeah. You mean that rapid cycling to, to yeah. hunt for shinies? Yeah, basically eat a sandwich with shiny power, then uh, find uh, a spot that they could spawn and despawn stuff, and then use the let's go feature to uh, despawn them by, you know, murdering them. Uh, there was like... Uh, there was one uh, video I saw pop up that uh, basically it was two or three people just going through this one section of Area Zero uh, hunting for the Paradox Pokemons. 
Uh, and they were, they got like two or three in under half an hour, which I realized, you know, could also be, you know, a selection bias as well on this one because, you know, they're showing it off, but at the same time, right? Yeah. The, the possibility exists and is higher than otherwise. Yeah. And since all, every uh, one of them had, had shining power going and was constantly spawning and despawning Pokemon, right? Yeah. So it's kind of turned into a, a mixed bag on that one. Uh, I'm just seeing if there's anything. I, uh, my other, well, I should say one other thing that's kind of been a little bit of an annoyance for me is the UI can be a little bit laggy in the PC boxes. It's not unbearable, but it's slow. So it makes organizing uh, shit a little bit of a hassle. But I think that's something that they'll fix eventually, but it's noticeable. And then there's just like online being iffy, but that's Nintendo being Nintendo, right? Yeah, their online is behind I mean, the curb. I mean, Splatoon, the is, uh, Splatoon uh, is uh, definitely improved, but eh. I mean, overall, I've really enjoyed my uh, uh, stuff or my time with it. And while my list of uh, cons is longer than my list of pros, it feels like my pros outweighs the cons because of the quality of them. And some of them do feel a little bit, you know, nitpicky. Like, so, there's some small models in the overworld for some Pokemon. You know, because they kind of tie the Pokemon more into the game world. So, you know, you'll have very small Pokemon, like, uh, flying around a forest, for example. While the larger ones, you know, kind of dwarf the player model. To some degree. They, they don't really have, you know, the, some of the super massive ones in this game. Uh, but it could also make it so that you could constantly get uh, you know get chained into battles because you know you'll uh, set up for a battle in the world, which the battle actually takes place in the world and doesn't yeah you know, like cut to you know random field somewhere, come out of battle and be standing on another Pokemon and start another battle. But that's kind of harking battle back to you know the random battles back in the day. So uh, the fact that you could avoid so many of them in this one, I'm you know right, yeah. But it is nice to see the Pokemon actually feel like they're a part of the world and interact direct, more directly with the world. You know, uh, seeing, you know, uh, uh, the uh, Whoopers, or the new version of Whooper, uh, you know, basking on the uh, uh, beach and, you know, uh, uh, do, uh, living his life, right? Until he's enslaved. By a kid. Yeah. But, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. I mean, overall, I have enjoyed my time with it. I feel a lot less nitpicky than uh, some of the reviews I've uh, seen. Because, you know, I've seen some people really tear into this game. I mean, hell, Jim Sterling uh, compared it directly to Cyberpunk. And it doesn't feel that broken. You know, it feels like there's an actual playable game here. Even if the frame rate is less than stellar. And that's possibly also just due to the fact that the game is never very fast-paced, you know? Yeah. I mean, the closest you get to a fast-paced thing is the terror raids, which are technically timed, but they're still on, like, a turn-by-turn thing going on. Although they do sometimes get annoying where uh, the turn-based mechanics will get interrupted by the 
target of the raid, uh, which, depending on where you are in the story, could be different Pokemon, uh, uh, different, essentially, star ratings or difficulty ratings, uh, which they could also be odd terror types. So, you know, like a uh, one I saw was a Ditto that was a dragon, <laughs> which was fun. Or, you know, you might have, you know, a, a water Pokemon that is ground type and it's treated as a ground Pokemon, right? But it still has its water moves. So, yeah, odd things like that. And it gives a collector's aspect to it of, you know, finding unique uh, combinations, right? Without having to go through the hassle of changing the terror types yourself. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, overall, I enjoyed my time with it. I do look forward to see what else they add to it, because I do expect the update that they do in the spring to add home uh, functionality to do more than just that. And there's some hints of some major DLC coming down the pipeline, which will be interesting if it, if what some of the hints uh, go to uh, pan out, essentially revisiting a previous uh, Pokemon uh, uh, region for the first time in, Oh, a very long time. Outside of uh, a remake of the game itself, I should say. So, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's always good to find a uh, a modern game that you enjoy. There are, it feels like there are few, despite the fact that there are more games than ever before, it feels like there are fewer enjoyable ones. Maybe that's just me being an old man at this point, but. And I, and I do think that Possibly the fact that, you know, I was freeloading on this game <laughs> does paint a slightly different picture. But, yeah. uh, but at the core of it, I still think it's an enjoyable game. If you could overlook the technical issues or just wait till they hopefully iron them out. I mean, there's no guarantee that they are. I mean, that's kind of the thing is that, right? Yeah. But uh, don't buy the game hoping that it's going to be fixed, right? Or, yeah. or fixed, fixed feels a little strong of a word. Improved, how about that? Because, right? That seems fair enough to me. And it does feel like a good jumping in place for uh, people that haven't played the Pokemans in a while because it's such a radical difference. Uh, they do still have a trimmed down Pokedex, by the way. It's 400 in the base game, at least for now. Uh, there are game or there are Pokemons that will be transfer only, but they won't impact the total number of the Pokedex. So they're considered transfer Pokemon, which is its own thing or will be its own thing. So there's that as well. Okay. Well, let's see. Yeah, I ended up talking for a while. Over an hour, almost uh, about an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, time for me to shut the fuck up. Well, I'm not going to talk that long. I had two, but given what time it is, I'm only going to talk about one. And I think this kind of works out um, because I would like to talk about the trio, the trilogy together. Um, So foreshadowing, I guess. Um, The one game I will talk about that I've played, and I'll, I'll adjust the list, is Empyreon Galactic Survival. This is a survival crafting a a sci-fi space survival crafting game which has been in development for many many years i purchased it and played it five no 2016 seven 
no, six years ago, yes, yeah, six years ago, um, at a much, much, much earlier stage of its development. Um, it was in early access at the time. It is released, quote-unquote, full release now, although it's a game that is continually under active development. So they hit all of their, you know, original original goals and have continued to expand and add to the game. It is, I think the best way to describe it, a better No Man's Sky. Like, well, no, let me rephrase that. That's No Man's Sky's gotten better over the years, but I don't think No Man's Sky has ever realized what it claimed to be originally. And this feels like it meets what No Man's Sky claimed it was going to be. It never made those claims to my knowledge. I've never seen anything that's like, we're the the real No Man's Sky. We're the better No Man's Sky. Whatever. Um, this game is is survival crafting, so let's let's start there. Um, the survival elements of the game are done, I think, in the best way that you can do survival elements. Uh, if you play in survival mode, and you, for the most part, ignore the survival mechanics other than hot and cold, you can get by, but you don't get any bonuses. Whereas if you treat the survival mechanics, um, with the exception of, I, well, okay, hot, cold, and oxygen. Because if you don't have any oxygen and you're in space or on a plant with no atmosphere, then obviously you you die. And if you ignore the hot, the heat, and cold mechanics, then you can freeze to death or you can overheat and have a heat stroke and die. But the food and water mechanics are pretty, pretty minimal. Um, you get bonuses for having a full or, you know, above a certain point food bonus with how quickly your stamina regenerates some mild health regeneration but if you more or less ignore it as long as you're not starving as long as the meter never hits zero there's no penalties just at a certain point around the two-thirds mark you stop getting the bonuses of faster stamina regeneration for sprinting and some health regeneration um up to a certain point. It won't regenerate you to full health. You still need healing items for that. But you have some mild health regenerations if you're well-fed, so to speak. Um, there are uh, there are many options to customize your difficulty. It's got some basic start stuff with, like, free play or uh, survival mode or story-focused mode. But, um, you know, generally speaking, playing in the default survival settings, you... That's that's how the survival works, um, the food and water mechanics of it. Um, it has something more akin to Space Engineers. Uh, space Engineers takes the concept of harvesting resources very far, a, a little bit farther towards realism than video gamey. Um, in Space Engineers, you actually have to get drills and other mining equipment to extract the physical resources, which then you must pick up either manually or using equipment and transport those back to your base to be refined. Whereas this um, has drills and other, you know, drill chainsaw, you've got sort of a basic sci-fi like um, resource harvesting gadget. And so you have to collect those things and bring them back to your base. It, but it's not, Use the drill and the collector to grab the ore and then bring it back and dump it in the hopper of your refinery. Um, you just have the specific tools to get the resources. Then you collect, you know, those resources into your inventory, and then you can carry those back to your base and utilize them. Um, 
it does have the voxel terrain generation and manipulation, which is pretty standard for games of the genre, but you know, it's there. Uh, the base building aspect functions a little more like, you know, Minecraft or, or several other of this type of game, as opposed to space engineers, there are some limited physics for your ship design and construction, but whereas space engineers, like if, you know, one piece is accidentally deleted or removed or, if the physics get a little too out of hand during construction, your ship is just going to, you know, crack in its way to the, to the moon. Whereas this, because it's a little more like, well, you place your blocks and they float in midair until you turn them from a construction item into an actual vehicle. Then it doesn't have to deal with that, which I prefer. Um, It's got a wide set of block types, everything from wood to steel to like sci-fi materials. Um, and the mechanics for manipulating them and customizing stuff are pretty pretty straightforward. Um, you know, rotate along various axes. Many blocks have got a contextual menu that will let you choose, you know, a specific slope angle of something or, you know, where the connection points actually are for visual, you know, aesthetic purposes. Um, pretty standard stuff in that respect. But where the game sort of gets to that realization of no man's sky is that uh it's got an entire universe galaxy lots of fucking stars to explore but because of the actual survival elements and the actual um depth with which you construct your own ships and your own bases and things like that you actually can go to these planets and explore them um and get meaningful resources it becomes more than just a exercise in well let's see what's out there let's see what we can find it actually becomes like okay i want to colonize this planet i'm going to go here i'm going to build a base i'm gonna put amenities on it i'm gonna set it to being a quote-unquote public base and then ai excuse me npcs will show up and start to act on this base you maybe set up a trade post or start moving in and if you build structures with beds and things they will live there and and suddenly you have populated a planet or a moon or an asteroid or you can just build a space station in space that can become a trading hub um these are all things that i don't know how fleshed out they are they're things that i've seen people talk about on the forums and have watched a few youtube videos about they were much later development additions um so I haven't had a chance to interact with that directly yet to know how well it works. But the game does have full, you know, a full single player story per se, multiple stories and multiple ways to interact with the universe. There are factions that you can discover. There is an ongoing sort of war and other political intrigue. There's a number of story missions that the your your sort of PDA starts populated with. And once you get off of your first planet, you can start engaging with those stories um, and sort of going forth and exploring. And you can create everything from simple ground vehicles to capital class vessels, which can be crewed by multiple people in uh, its shared multiplayer environment. You can do public servers that have protected PVE as well as open PVP areas, or you can have your own server or just sort of play uh, peer to peer and you and your friends can build spaceships and space stations and shit and explore the the galaxy together. Um, combat is pretty straightforward. You know, it's first person, so 
you know, you have first person combat. Most of it is shooting. There's a few melee weapons. Um, eventually you're going to have your ship, be it a hovercraft, a fighter, or a capital ship, just covered in automatic weapons so that any pirates or uh, indigenous hostile fauna that come your way will just get blasted into oblivion without a second thought. Um, it's a fun game. I'm looking forward to really engaging with some of the later game mechanics. My play experience so far has pretty closely matched when I played it previously, you know, a few years ago, um, because there are multiple starts you can pick, but um, I still went with the same planet that originally was the only planet in uh, in the solar system that you could spawn on, just because I was familiar with it. I was relearning the game mechanics, but, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to exploring with some of that other stuff. I'm already up through the first portion of the tech tree. I will say tech tree, you don't have to research things in the same sense that you would for Factorio or um, other survival type games. It, there's just a simple XP and leveling system as you interact with the game world naturally, harvesting resources, constructing things, completing any sort of side missions that you do find. Because there are some interesting landmarks and uh, things that get you, if you engage with them, invested in the universe that exists, or you can just ignore them for the the free resources you can get from them uh, deconstructing the research station for example that's on the starting planet near where you spawn versus actually interacting with it and reading all the data on the the alien species and you know how to to try to make nice or or make war with them and how they're going to probe your ass and how they're going to probe your ass um yeah it's a solid game that has everything I think as far as, you know, this type of, of, of gameplay goes, it's got good controls. It has a, a survival system that doesn't go too overboard on you, making you have to constantly babysit these meters. Truthfully, the only ones that are really important are the environmental ones, you know, hot, cold, I guess radiation too, I forgot radiation, but hot, cold radiation and um, oxygen. And otherwise, you know, just you just need to eat food once every couple of days to not starve to death. Or only keep your food meter up if you want those those stamina and bonuses and that health regeneration. Which for doing normal crafting activities, resource harvesting and crafting really doesn't matter. It's only if you're going to go and engage in combat that I think that's important. So overall, I would say it's two thumbs up. Because of its age, it's pretty pretty consistently on sale, even at full price. It's not that expensive. It's only 20 bucks. But, you know, it regularly is is on sale in the 5 to $10 range. So if you like this type of game, especially I think if you like Space Engineers, I think compared to Space Engineers, it is doing something different. Um, but overall, I would say Empyreon has been a more satisfying, um, fun experience than Space Engineers is. While Space Engineers can be quite fun and engaging, I often find Space Engineers very frustrating because of issues with the physics. And uh, so far, I just haven't ran into the same problems on this one. So, Empyrean Galactic Survival. Good game. Recommend if you like this sort of thing. Definitely worth uh, worth checking out. And then, yeah, I'm going to save my other game, which I guess is a tease. It is Homeworld Deserts of Karak, but I'm going to save that. Those of you who are have, you know, I guess halfway functional memories can remember that I compared a lot of stuff in last month's Game Club, Sense of Solar Empire Rebellion, 
to the Homeworld series, which made me want to play the Homeworld series, All both right. Homeworld 1 and 2 and the prequel. And Homeworld 3 is supposed to be coming out next year, I think in the first half of the year, maybe it's the first quarter. Um, so that's good lead in for me as a fan of the Homeworld series. But anyways, yeah, that's we'll get to that next time or maybe in two weeks once I've I've had yeah, more so time. Should we do some printing on the topic list? Because right. Yeah, it's already almost midnight. Let's do that. Um, is there obviously anything that we need really to really want to talk about. Well, we obviously need to do the community corner. Yeah. Um, I don't really care about talking about days gone. I think we could skip uh, the game awards, at least for this week. We could save it for next week if we want. Okay, sounds good to me. Do you want to talk about Diablo? Not particularly. All right, let's go ahead and peel that one off, too. Makes editing easier as well. So that gets us currently to Twitch, and then a news topic, and a community corner about Dwarf Fortress. All right, that, that works for me. Okay. So, moving to our revised topic list. Uh, Twitch removes hate group from, oh god, Eurogamer? That's being dumb. Hang on. Twitch removes hate group from approved charities following backlash. They removed a charity from Eurogamer? Weird. (laughs) Oh no, it was doing the whole thing about, oh, disable your ad block, and it was blocking the article headline. And yeah, no, but... Okay, so... Uh, this is tying into uh, Twitch's charity system that they started early this year, uh, but have uh, greatly expanded on the last couple of weeks. Uh, supposedly announcing that they added tens of thousands of uh, uh, new global charities, and turns out there's at least one hate group charity in it as well. The I want to make sure I get this right. The LGB Alliance. Uh, was added to the list, and they're anti-trans group. Notice LGB, but no uh, T or Q there, right? Yep. Which, admittedly, if I if you ask me about that uh, uh, charity, I wouldn't think anything of it because one, I'm not from the UK, right? Where yeah. they're based, and making a lot more headlines, right? Oh yeah, but, but no, I, yeah, I, I, mean, it, I have it, only heard of them because. I listen to the uh, to Podquisition, which is James Stephanie Sterling's podcast with them uh, being from the murder basement. Yes, from the murder basement with them being um, native from the UK and, and having moved back uh, relatively recently. And then with Laura Kate Dale, the two of them both being uh, the T and the LGBT, you know, full dealio. Uh, they have talked about this a number of times, but otherwise I wouldn't know about it because I've never seen or heard about it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing is that for some of these uh, groups, you really have to dig because they do kind of bury the lead. And I'm willing to bet if I were to just not do search on news, just look at their website, they're going to seem like a very pro-gay group in because, at least in the U.S., uh, LGBTQ is kind of all kind of clumped together. My brain's going to fill in. Well, therefore, therefore, the gays and the gays could do whatever they want. Absolutely. So, so 
this is obviously not a bad group, right? So yep. I definitely could see how this group got, uh, you know, past whatever vetting, assuming that there was even vetting, because that could even be its own thing of, you know, they just had, like, a, a database of charities that they uh, imported or something, right? Oh, yeah, no, I could easily believe that there was no vetting. Like, that is not hard for me to believe at all. I don't, uh, I don't know that. I'm not saying I know that, but I could believe that there was none. Uh, considering that uh, the article also talks about how Autism Speaks, a network that was added to the list of approved charities in August, was highlighted uh, in an upvoted post. Which, oh boy, right? I don't actually know uh, why uh, you're well, saying, oh boy, I don't know a lot about well, well, I just saw uh, some of the comments about it. Basically, talking how Aut- uh, people with autism need to be cured. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, certainly people with autism need treatment. They need help, depending on how severe it is. You know, that treatment varies. But yeah, no, they... Uh-huh. And I'm assuming by cure, they mean like a final solution kind of cure. Uh, not, not quite, but... Or, oh, okay. Uh, get, getting there. So it's not quite as bad as it could be, but it's still pretty mm-hmm. bad. Uh, based on some of the comments i've seen i do not have personal knowledge of them but autism speaks is popping up alongside a anti-trans group so all right yeah not a very good association in my book uh let's see well let's just put it this way from uh the autistic advisory uh organization before you date to autism speaks uh consider the facts but uh, very little of your money is donated to Aus- uh, Autism Speaks. It uh, goes towards helping autistic people or families. Uh, over half of it is going to awareness and lobbying. Or nearly half of it, I should say. So, ew, right? Yeah, some of that's always a little difficult. Like, <laughs> you know, 100% of what you give can't go to the thing that they're doing. If you if you're an NGO of any size, because like you do have people that you need to support, you've got bills to pay, lights to keep on. But still, the idea is that you get, you know, 75 to 80 percent of that money going to do the things that you're trying to do. That's ideal. But still, 50 percent is pretty, pretty low. Well, according to once again, this is also possibly biased. I'm uh taking this with a grain of salt as well. But according to this uh, organization, Autism Speaks uses its platform and advertising budget to portray autism and autistic people as mysterious and frightening. Their fundraising tactics increase stigma and create barriers to the inclusion of autistic people in our communities. Ah. Well. So, right? Yeah. Anyways, carry on. Uh, well, I was, now I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole because, right? <laughs> yeah, these kind of things kind of uh, is searching to end autism, as in a cure, not to understand what's going on. Just autism speaks has the ultimate goal of ending autism by any means necessary, which is scary sounding, huh? Yeah, I mean, truthfully. I do wish there was a cure for autism. Like, I wish there was a cure for basically any condition or illness, be it physical or mental or combination, but that's unrealistic at best. Mm -hmm. At least with current medical technology, like, 
we only barely understand how autism works. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. How autism affects the the brain. So yeah, I have a feeling that I, I and I know we're focusing on autism speaks just because this article popped it up, but I have a feeling that there's plenty more winning ones in this uh, list that could be troublesome to say the least, right? Yeah. This is why whenever you set uh, some sort of automatic charity thing, like uh, Amazon Smiles, an, uh, an easy one to set up, uh, and they suggest a few uh, charities to possibly check out, do your in-depth research, because you don't want to inadvertently uh, support a bunch of douchebags. Yeah. For sure. I've, uh, I've supported Child's Play for years. Uh, charity Water, actually, for me. Uh, mostly in honor of the late great Total Biscuit, right? And if it wasn't that, I would just say it to like the local animal shelter, right, right? Gotta keep the cynical well flowing, right? Of course. Which it, you know, it's at least better than you know uh, some of these hate groups, right? Yeah, I am glad that Twitch did something about it, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I wish they would have done something beforehand. It's it's complicated. I don't want to give them an excuse, an easy out. No, I don't want to pat them on the back. I don't want to give them an excuse or an easy out because it's like if you just had more eyeballs, more human eyeballs on this, there would be less mistakes. But yeah, Twitch but the, uh, is a massive company that that makes it hard because there's so much that goes through all there all the time, like. They could do better. They should do better. They need to do better. Well, well, this was also, it's not like somebody submitted this and uh, it just got mistakenly approved. This was on a tool update. So it feels like there should have been more vetting, you know? Yeah. I I have a feeling whatever person saw this, assuming, of course, there was a proper vetting uh, process, which there may not have been. But however they got on the list... Someone screwed up somewhere because, right? Yeah. And because it's a, a US based company, it may just be because of what I said, where uh, the kind of the uh, Rainbow Alliance is formed in the US. And there's, at least as far as I know, there's not a vocal outcry against trans people in the. Uh, LGB uh, community uh, that you know whoever saw this charity and saw LGB and you know, saw that they're for the gays that you know they didn't think that it was some sort of hate group because right that, yeah that, that's the that's the realm of the anti-gay uh, people here well, uh, for the most part I mean there there obviously are hate groups on the uh, left of course but boy are the ones on the right a lot more vocal about it these days. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, naturally, the left is less inclined to have hate groups anyways. They're a more tolerant, progressive group of people. They exist, but they're much fewer and farther between. But that's a whole different discussion on um, uh, sociology and cultural demographics, political demographics, ideologies... Which is a fun discussion, in my opinion. But yeah, you should uh, yell at Sarah as she's yeah you know, sitting there waiting for her thumb to heal. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, that Jesus was a liberal. And also not white. Yep. Good luck getting her to, to believe that. <laughs> it would, uh, uh, yeah, do better with a knife. <laughs> Foreshadowing. I, I, I know. <laughs> I'll possibly ruin the story, but it's so glorious otherwise. It doesn't matter. Indeed. So, uh, moving along to the community quarter where we talk about Dwarf Fortress. Yay. Yeah, let's talk about Dwarf Fortress. Uh, um, yeah, Dwarf Fortress has kind of blown the sales uh, figures out of the water, making the developers millionaires and uh, kind of caught uh, a Polygon reviewer off guard. Yeah. Uh, so, let's talk loosely uh, or generally about Dwarf Fortress for just a minute. Like, yeah, because we did in Game Club, what, like three years ago now? Several years ago, yeah. And I kind of want to do a revisit at some point with the Steam version. Sure. I'd be down. Uh, because it does seem like it makes it a lot easier. I haven't picked it up yet. I've been waiting till, uh after the Christmas sale to see you know, how crazy things get there. Uh, but they made it a lot more easy to enter, but not you know, simplified the game itself. So things are still crazy as hell. And Dwarf Fortress at its heart is a community builder, but also a story generator. So whenever uh, you look at one of the dwarves, instead of seeing very cold and hard, you know, this dwarf does this, 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 has these skills, it has flavor text instead. And for somebody that wants to build a story around a dwarf, uh, they are able to fill in the blanks a lot easier because they could see that, you know, this dwarf has stunted emotions, which kind of got to this one Polygon reviewer. Uh, so the actual dwarf that they kind of latched onto, kind of the uh, the one the two lines. One, she needs alcohol to get through the working day, which. Is typical dwarf stuff, but the she doesn't really uh, care about anything anymore, and is constantly throwing essentially uh, comments uh, on their workday uh, and through the thought system, which is basically reporting back of what the dwarf's done lately and how it's affected them emotionally. Uh, doesn't really uh, care anymore because they've seen like so much death and destruction. That's basically like, you know, they have uh, essentially shell shock or you know, PTSD. But this is dwarves. that They haven't evolved to that point yet. It, 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 it's hammer shock. <laughs> Which sounds badass, honestly, but... Uh, but basically, it's... Uh, they, you know, basically, you know, killed what emotions they have and just are kind of just, you know, stumbling through the day. And... It really caught this reviewer off guard, and that's kind of like the beauty of Dwarf Fortress, is that if you go digging, if you pardon the term or phrase, there's all these little stories that you can tell uh, just from a handful of uh, uh, sentences because of how the world generates uh, its uh, inhabitants and how the inhabitants interact with one another, how they build relationships, how there's betrayal. And, you know, people flip the fuck out when, you know, they uh, sober up. Yeah. I love that a game, like, that goes to speak 
to the game as a whole. Like I said this whenever we did our game clubs, something along the lines of like, I really love the game, but I can't play it because it triggers things inside of me. <laughs> For good or worse, right? For yeah, and you know, I'm I'm a very different person compared to then. I think I could probably handle it better now just because I've dealt with some own some of my own internal issues a bit better. And whenever you put distance between yourself and mm-hmm. and something it oftentimes gets easier to handle it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that speaks to the the quality of the game. Like, the old school was just ASCII text, whereas the new one... Is this a, a toggle, or is this an always-on graphics uh, this is, mode? Uh, this is always-on graphics mode now. Uh, okay, it's, version. it's... It's very reminiscent of RimWorld. I mean, RimWorld has... You know, the developers have said they were heavily inspired by Dwarf Fortress, mm-hmm. so, like, you I mean, know, Dwarf it makes Fortress sense. Is the, uh, like, the daddy of the... Uh, of the modern uh, colony management games. So, you know, things like Banished, uh, Rimworld, uh, pretty much all these uh, farming games that are popping up now, uh, how they're kind of tied to the success of uh, Stardew Valley. Yeah. Uh, Dwarf Fortresses uh, to the uh, community builders. Uh, they have improved the interface quite a bit as well. So, uh, you yeah. know, it's, uh, it's more manageable. If... If you sat down and worked with like some of the tile sets, it was workable on the old version. But like, like I said, I, I do need to pick this up at some point. Yeah, but anyways, it just goes to show how well designed the game is and how many systems there are at play that a game that has, you know, originally effectively no graphics. I know that's not literally true, but, you know. And then the new one with very simplified graphics, you know, how much that they can affect someone. I think that goes to say a lot of how well-designed games, both from their gameplay mechanics and narrative, um, can affect someone. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I'm glad to see that it's done so well on Steam. I mean, I thought it would do well, but damn, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to my Steam charts. See if it's Dwarf Fortress is number eight on uh, the top sellers on Steam. To put it this way, Steam Deck is uh, the top sellers is uh, arranged by total revenue generated. All right. Okay. So Steam Deck is number one. High on Life, which just released, is number two. Uh, uh, Counter Strike Global Offensive number three. Destiny two. Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Valve Index VR Kit, Dwarf Fortress, and then Lost Ark. Is uh, High on Life the Rick and Morty devs, or the Rick and Uh, Morty people game? Yeah, I think so. Okay. It's on Game Pass as well. I'm not sure if I want to check it out. It's basically, it's from the reviews I've seen, it's just in... Uh, Justin Roland, Roland. Roland yeah. Justin Roland being Justin Roland, so yeah. Sometimes I really like his stuff, and other times I don't. Rick and Morty is very hit or miss for me. I've actively avoided it just because the fan base is so cringe. Yeah, I basically whenever uh, McDonald's did the whole Sheshquan dipping sauce promotion, and people lost their shit, tearing up McDonald's, yelling about Pickle Rick, I decided I never wanted to watch a fucking episode of that show. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, truthfully, I don't think that it's... I I oftentimes feel that shows 
are very overrated. And I feel like Rick and Morty is overrated. It's not a bad show. You know, it has good episodes. It has bad episodes. If you like a lot of the meta humor that they do, which I do, you know, I think there's more there than if you don't like that sort of thing. But it's not that good. You know, like, it's not tear up a McDonald's good. You should just tear up a McDonald's on basic principle, like down with capitalism. Well, honestly, uh, tearing up a McDonald's, all you have to do is eat there. Oh, thought that was Taco oh, Bell. Uh, uh, honestly, yeah, I personally think it's McDonald's more. Because, whew. Uh, what can I say? I'm allergic to bland flu- food, and McDonald's is some of the blandest uh, of the fast food out there. Sick burn, dog. But yeah, I mean, McDonald's is not very good. Yeah, the niece absolutely loves it, but eh. Yep, teen. so does my uh, kid. Uh, teen, right? Eight well, year old. in my case. Although, uh, she has said that she prefers my pizza over uh, all the Pizza Hut, so there is that. That is a win. Although, I did uh, weird her out last time I made taco pizza because I put black beans on it. Well, that sounds interesting. I'd put black beans on pizza. Well, it's black beans, taco meat, uh, cheddar cheese, olives. I'm trying to think of what was also on there. Uh, the base was just salsa. It ended up being pretty spicy, but it was good. It's hard to screw up a good pizza, or, or screw up pizza so bad that's inedible. Yeah. I don't know how a pizza does it, but uh, they're on the borderline there. So anyways, do you have anything else you want to say about Dwarf Fortress at the moment? I'm really glad to see them succeeding. They supposedly broke their uh, six-month estimated sales in 24 hours. Uh, The uh, the co-developer or whatever arrangement they have going on there uh, was trying to be optimistic on a long-term uh, thing, especially considering Dwarf Fortress is still producing their free-to-play version. But kind of, they kind of blew it out of the park. So, yeah, uh, glad to see it because, yeah, you know, obviously that's going to keep them going for a very long time. Yeah, but yeah, uh, you got anything to say? I don't think so. I don't think I have anything else. I mean, you're much more familiar with Dwarf Fortress than I am. You know, the only time I've really ever played it was for Game Club. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't touched it since Game Club. I'm due to uh, dive into it again. I pretty much uh, would do it during the major updates. But, you know, uh, what always amazed me was just some of the stuff that people would come up with. You know, like turning minecarts into essentially shotguns. Yeah. I've seen some of that stuff, and you told me about plenty of it, so. And, of course, the all-time favorite glitch of... Uh, thermal nuclear uh, catapocalypse. Basically, uh, well, there was two cat major cat related bugs. One where they get covered in uh, beer, go to clean themselves, uh, get alcohol poisoning, throw up, throw up on themselves, which would contain the beer. Uh, then clean it again and basically give themselves alcohol poisoning and die. And then there was also a glitch at one point. Where if too many animals were in a enclosed space, uh, they would start to, uh, the body heat would uh, quickly raise the temperature of the room to the point where they'd basically catch on fire. 
Oh no! And cats, for whatever reason, uh, hit this threshold so much faster because of litters and the fact that they tend to clip together and go after uh, vermin. So there was a case of fortresses kind of burning down because cats would breed. Dwarf Fortress. Uh, Dwarf Fortress, the game where the patch notes are uh, more fun than most of the games you've ever played. Fixed uh, by cats where they will no longer uh, get alcohol poisoning from uh, washing themselves. Fixed cats so they'll no longer burn your base down. Probably. Should be like, you know, ellipses. Cats are still assholes. All right. Well, with all that being said, uh, Rage, why don't you tell them how that they can get contact us or send stuff into the show? Okay, well, if you wish to contact us, you can do so at vtlpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us vtlpodcast on said Twitter until Elon Musk burns it down, which, according to some reports, seems like that's going to be sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out uh, his later strategy is not paying rent. And, no, I'm not joking on that. And also, uh, you know, firing his lawyers because, or his tax lawyers because, oh boy. Uh, sh- should we start uh, looking at the uh, alternatives to uh, Twitter to not be active on? Probably not a bad idea, honestly. Like, I'm not sure if you're joking or not, but that's probably not a bad idea. Uh, put on an advertising campaign as well, or two? Yeah. Uh, but until Twitter burns the, uh, into the ground, VGL Podcast, and... Well, you can drop by the Discord, vtrlpodcast.podbean.com for a link to that. So, yay? Yay. So, uh, as, as for the other part, hey, Rage, why don't you hit them with the socials? Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me not tweeting anything lately over at uh, Gaming with CR. <laughs> or if you should be my friend on Steam, Caffeine Rage there. I haven't been very active lately, what can I say? That's okay. Um, As for me... You can find me over on Twitter at JMA4707 until the site burns itself to the ground. I'm actually have been pulled by another podcast to do a psych consult, a psychology consultation. I don't know what what you want to call it. Oh, sorry. Um, You have a case of bitch be crazy. The podcast is called If Books Could Kill. Um, and I follow the guy who makes this podcast. I follow several of his other podcasts, um, maintenance phase and you're wrong about. And he posted on Twitter the other day, like, Hey, are any of my followers, uh, marriage therapists? We're working on a new project for if books could kill. And I need to talk to somebody. And I don't know if I was just the first one who responded or if he looked at the people who did respond. It was like, yeah, you'll, you'll do. But um, I've I've had a conversation with him, and he's going to provide me with some material to read and to consult with him on. So that feels cool. Um, I don't I don't know. I probably I don't think I'll wind up getting any show credit. Maybe in the show notes, but you know, if books could kill, uh, I'll I guess I'll say whenever that episode goes live for that other podcast. And then on uh, on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash runicarts, I play tabletop games with them sometimes, specifically running a Vampire the Masquerade campaign, uh, where that this week, this episode will air after that next session. I'm going to kill one of my main players, uh, like, number one NPCs. Whoops. They're going to fucking die. 
and it's going to introduce how powerful the enemies are in the second arc, and there's literally nothing she can do to stop it. So, sucks to suck. I'm hoping that there are tears. <laughs> Which sounds really dickish, but like, God, that would be great because of how invested everyone would be in. And also, I'm kind of an asshole. But anyways, yeah, that's the places where you can find me. Also on our Discord server, you can come say hi if you want. Oh, anyway, once again, VGL Podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, great related topics. Tweet them to VGL Podcast. Or drop by the Discord, which you can find a link to that over at VGLPodcast.podbean.com. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You can find out more about that over at Patreon.com slash Podcast. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work over at Incomputech.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye bye now. See ya. Bye bye.